All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are. We're continuing our study in the book of Isaiah. You know, sometimes I think we spend half the time reviewing so you can get caught up and then flood you with more. And then what are we going to do tomorrow? We'll review again. It's just kind of like this, just so we can grasp something here. You know, here we are just this week. We're starting. We we, we started, Kevin, this week unfolding 34 and 35, the deliverance and judgment. Then then it's just like a... Enter in real life, right? You know, Hezekiah, here's a story. And let me just, I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I have to, because to go into Isaiah 39 today, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page with Isaiah 36. Sorry, Kevin, I'm going to throw you for a loop. 36, 37, you ready for this? 38 and 39 we're going to review today. Better get your running shoes. It has nothing to do with what you did or did not hear yesterday. But in order to go to 39, if you're just jumping in, you're kind of like, what? Where are we? So look, okay, 36, uh, really you see, you see a prayer. At the end of 36, you see a prayer of Hezekiah, uh, Isaiah 36, 22, okay? Hezekiah's prayer, there's a prayer of repentance, right? This is the reality. Then you jump into uh, Isaiah 37. Uh, really, I mean, Isaiah, Hezekiah's prayer goes all the way into 37. And then at the end of 37, all of a sudden God is replying. And as God replies, he says, all right, look, Jerusalem's going to be delivered. The Assyrians are going to depart. The people, uh, like, they're not going to make it. And then as Gordy said yesterday, and I love this image, 185,000 dead. Just boom, done. It's like all of a sudden God intervenes in a ridiculous way uh, and, and like through the roof. I mean, just like that. So this is the scenario that we're talking about. Now, at the same time, Kevin, Tom, if you want to go to the kings and prophets, Kevin, 185,000 are dead. What people are dead? Assyrians. So the Assyrians are dead right here. So we're talking about the Assyrians that have been bringing bloodshed towards most of the northern, right? And then at the same time, all of them are dead. This is the, this is the mentality. Now, all of this has happened, okay? But the next thing you know, uh, Hezekiah, Isaiah 38, 1 becomes terminally ill. When it says terminally ill, let's go to Pastor Tom for this. What does that mean? You're going to die. You're going to die. And in fact, it's so drastic. Isaiah says, put your affairs in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. Now, this is the problem. This is what the Lord says. It's not really encouraging. If the Lord says this, you're going to die. You're like, well, I don't know about this kind of deal. But what's cool is in verses two and three, he cries out. He didn't like the word. I mean, I think who wouldn't who would like that? word? (laughs) The point is, is Hezekiah turned in verses two and three and he's like, no, God, this cannot be right. So then he says, God, look, look who I am. Look how I've walked with you. And then he jumps into four through eight. This is so cool. Then God gives a promise. Four through eight, Kevin, if you would, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. This is the problem I have a little bit with this. I don't know. The Lord said he was going to die. And then what does the Lord say? I'm going to give you how long? I'm going to add 15 years to your life. So what does that say about prayer? Any thoughts? Uh, let's go to Pastor Tom. Oh, boy. But, you know, this is, this is really a fascinating one because Hezekiah prays. And God says, fine, I'm going to give you what you want. It's not what I want for you, but I'll give you what you want. And let's see how this turns out. So he gives him 15 years. Yeah. Kevin? But that doesn't negate what... Uh, 
Isaiah said in verse 1, because he still needs to put his affairs in. He's still going to die. It's just down the road. True. Kevin, you got your A game on today. Uh, he is going to die, so we do know that word's going to come to fruition. Somewhere in there, Hezekiah prays, cries out to the Lord, says, hey, look, man, I'm worthy of this. Give me a couple more years. <laughs> Fifteen years is added. I still think that's what I always, I always wondered about this text. Do you think he had on his app a countdown clock? Hmm. Dang, it's down to 14 years, you know, in 282 days. It's like my daughter counting down to the days that she has her uh, braces off, which is the same day as Gordy's birthday. They're both going to have a party. But like, here's the countdown. I got 15 years. All right, I'm going to get everything in order. The problem is his, his son was not a very good guy. Just FYI. Hezekiah's crew that came after him was one of the worst. So you have to wonder, in his prayer, did that bring about something more? That I, it's, it's another interesting discussion. The point is, he gets 15 years, so he has this new appreciation for life. As um, one commentator said, Wearsby says he's got a new appreciation for prayer, new appreciation for service. It, he kind of has a whole new appreciation. So all of a sudden, things are looking, Kevin, really good. Better. They're, they are. They're looking a whole lot better. I mean, his enemies are dead. He's got new life. Okay, at least 15 more years. Enter in Isaiah 39. Hey, we're, guys. Hey, you made it. We did it. We made it through a couple chapters. So Isaiah 39, I want to kind of begin to, to walk through this. Now, ah, oh, these names are amazing, by the way. <laughs> At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan. Way to get really creative here. So king of Babylon. So, all right, this is really interesting, okay? The Assyrians are dead. Enter in problem two. The king of Babylon, he decides to send letters and gifts to Hezekiah, whose now life has, has extended because he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. It's like he probably sent him a congratulations balloon. Hmm. I'm thinking it was a bit more than that. Some flowers, maybe. The point is, is he sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah. And so he begins to recognize Something has changed. Enter in this little guy that's probably trying to grab a hold of something. Go into verse 2 if you can. Verse 2 says, Hezekiah was pleased with them. Pleased with them meaning the Babylonians. Them meaning at least the son. And who knows if the dad got involved at this point. Showed them his treasure house. He shows them the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil. And all his, his armory. And everything that was found in his treasuries. Okay, Tom, you're uh, Tom Jankowski. You are in the military. When it says armory, what do you think is in there? Armory, I'd say all the weapons. Um, I don't like ours. We have the vault where all the weapons are kept, night vision goggles, gas masks. So everything you would need for war. Everything. What are you laughing at, Kevin? I don't think there was gas masks or uh, night vision. <laughs> All right, so but here's the point. Hezekiah is like excited. I mean, look, here's the deal. I want to cut this guy some slack. I do. I want to cut him some slack a little bit. Why? Because, Kevin, if you got a house, don't you want your family to come over? And don't you want them to see your house? You bet. I just think that a natural reaction of Jude finishing his Lego set, hey, check it out what I just, what I got. Like, the, the, yes, there's pride in all of this. There, that's not even a question. But he's excited. And so, like, is that sin? Yes. I'm just saying, I'm putting myself in, in, in his shoes uh, in some form or fashion. And, and here's a thought that just hit me as you were going through that. 
Assyria is now out of the picture, and so the heaviness and oppression yeah. of that attack He's excited. off, and okay, we're, we're in. We're free. Yeah. He was truly excited. And I, I, I do think, you guys, from a human perspective, the Assyrians are out of the picture. He's genuinely like, oh, oh this, is, this is a breath of fresh air. Again, there's wisdom with Hezekiah that he's missing right now. I'm not giving him credit for completely falling into sin. I'm just saying, guys, I think there's a lot of us that we get excited. I remember when, when we got a car. I took eight of us in a car for a car ride, and we crammed us in the car because it was fun to ride in a car. That's all I'm saying. Like, it has that feel of this genuine giddiness here. The problem is, if you would, keep going into verses 3 and on. It says, Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and asked him, What, what did these men say? The men who came to you, where were they from? And Hezekiah replied, well, they came to me from a distant country from Babylon. Verse 4, it says this. And he asked, what, what have they seen in your palace? Oh, just a toilet. Just a couple closets. No, he's like, they've seen everything in my palace. And you have to wonder, like, he's excited to tell them. In fact, he says, there's nothing in my treasuries. I didn't show them. I showed them everything. <laughs> mm. That's like, there's almost a Mickey Mouse laugh that just came out right there and there. That's a little strange. Isaiah 39, 5, then it says, then this is what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. He said, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. I'm like, oh man, last time I heard that, I told I was going to die. Right? I mean, that's, there really wasn't very much favor. Verse 6, here we go. The time will certainly come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. I felt like in order to get into 40, because 40 is a drastic change. I mean, we see a drastic change. I really wanted to see closure to, to, to the 1 through 39. And I can't think of a better way of this ridiculous closure than a prophet saying to the king, remember, here it is, prophet saying to King Hezekiah, implying southern kingdom. He says, oh, by the way, everything that you just showed and all that your fathers have stored up. In other words, this wasn't just you, but this is people that have gone before you. You literally have given everything to the Babylonians. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And if I'm hearing this, I'll be like, oh, hmm. verse 7. And then, by the way, he adds this. This is even worse. Some of your family members, your descendants who come from you, in other words, possibly sons, possibly grandsons, uh, you know, nephews, descent, well, I guess this, descendants from you, family, immediate family, they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So by the way, now you're going to lose your family and they're going to serve the king in captivity. guess I shouldn't have showed some of my belongings. But Hezekiah has one of the, in my opinion, one of the dumbest responses you can hear. I, I scratch my head all the time at this. I'm like, did he, did he not hear what he just said? Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah in verse 8, Oh, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. <laughs> so you just told me I'm going to lose everything from my house and my family is now going to be as a eunuch, a slave of some form, a steward, a servant to the king of Babylon in captivity. And, and his selfish thought is this, for he thought there will be peace and security during my lifetime. So in other words, you know what that means? I don't have to deal with it. You know what that means? That's called bad parenting. Right? It's kind of like, well, if I don't do anything, let me, let me give you an example, okay? Like, let's just say, you know there has to be a stop sign, okay? This is a really bad example. In your neighborhood. And every time you're seeing, like, well, I know there needs to be a stop sign. I know there needs to be a stop sign. But like, 
you're like, you sell your house to your kid. Okay, hang on here with me for a second. You sell your house to your kid, and then you move because you don't have to deal with that. And so then what happens? Well, the guy's like, well, I don't have to deal with that stop sign and all the issues and all the accidents, but my kid does. He could care less, you guys, about the implications for his family as long as he's okay. As long as there's peace and security in his lifetime, I'm good. 13 years and counting. <laughs> he's 12 years and counting, but he doesn't care. And you're kind of like, what an idiot. And yet, I mean, over and over again, you guys, this conversation about Hezekiah, I mean, he really is a unique man of God. I mean, I think outside of David and Solomon, I think we talked about this a little bit. Outside of David and Solomon, I mean, Hezekiah is the, the third most king talked about. I mean, God clearly has a respect for Hezekiah. And yet in this, he's like, well, well, see you later. That's the end of the judgment period in 1 through 39. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Kevin, I'm going to start drawing some charts. Charts here get me very excited. Now, the problem is, will you be able to read my chart? Let's find out. All right, in 1 through 39, okay, Kevin and Tom, you guys can help me here. Isaiah 1 through 39, all right? Then we have, then you're going to have Isaiah, because we're hopefully going to get to chapter 40 today. All right, if you were to say the focus is on, if you were to say what's the enemy in 1 through 39, what would you guys say? Who was it that was just destroyed? The Assyrians. Yeah, so the focus is going to be on Assyria. Okay? Then when you get through 40 through 66, who will it be on? Babylon. Babylon. Okay, in 1 through 39, obviously the primary theme that we see is judgment. And we're transitioning... You can use multiple words, you guys, for 40 through 66. I'm just going to use deliverance for this one. You can go multiple different ways on this. And I, I like what um, uh, what we're beginning to see. Now, historical details uh, are going to be present in 39. When you get to 40 through 66, historical details, they're, they're going to be absent. You won't see much. Compared to what you see 1 through 39... We've talked about the Messiah. Obviously, our word is Emmanuel. Uh, a Messiah here in this, in 1 through 39. We didn't get to a whole lot of this emphasis, but it is obvious he's the shoot of Jesse. Okay, we talked a little bit about that. Then you're going to get into, obviously, you're going to see him as the servant. Servant of the Lord in 40 through 66. All right, the life of Isaiah in 1 through 39. He is actually prominent. The life of Isaiah in 40 through 66. Absence is a little bit strong word, but it's very minimal. His focus totally changes. Totally changes. Very forward. Totally changes, uh, I mean, really in, in all of this. And so here is your chart of, and this is kind of a bigger picture. Wearsby adds to this, and I do like this because you see because of Assyria, I'm just going to write up here, Sennacherib, right? He's the king. Okay, when you get to uh, 40 through 66, I'm going to write it down here. The focus is going to be on Cyrus. Uh, in, in all of this, now that this is our focus of Isaiah 40 through 66, because this is kind of where we get to hang out, you're going to see MacArthur says the prophecies of Isaiah 40 through 66. They, here's what they do. They address Judah. This is really important. As though the prophesied Babylonian captivity were already a present reality. It's 100 years down the road. Though. And it hasn't happened yet. So, but you got to understand, 
uh, it didn't happen until 605 to 586. So you have down the road. But again, this is the mentality of, of a prophet. He's releasing words. It's coming. But when you're reading it, you're like, he's acting like it's pretty real right now. So just as a backdrop to understand this. Now, this is kind of a cool image. Three different, uh, the, the rest of this, 40 through 66, is actually divided into three different sections. Okay? Some people would change it up a different ways. But Kevin, if you go to Isaiah 48, 22. Okay? So what you have is in 40 through, these are chapters here, by the way, 40 through 48, you have, there's a phrase, there is no peace for the wicked says the Lord. Okay. This actually creates a div- division because then when you go to Isaiah 57, 21, there you have another division. And so you have three different divisions. Not going to get into all the details about what is in each one of those, but I do think it's an interesting division that there is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21 divides each one of these sections. So it's just kind of like, as we keep, you know, Kevin, we narrowed it down uh, over the last one through 39 chapters. We're going to keep doing that in 40 through 66. And I have to tell you guys, these are some fun chapters. There's a lot, but these are really some fun chapters. And so again, remember, 39 can reference, uh, if you wanted to look at it like this, the Old Testament, 40 through 66 could represent the New Testament. So you really could have 66 chapters representing the 66 books. It's a really powerful image, but we finally have made it to chapter 40. You got to know that's kind of a big deal because we've been talking about judgment, judgment, judgment. And now finally we can begin to get into, and this is a really cool picture. What Wearsby says, the circumstances are behind us. Like that's the transitional mindset of where we're headed today. So Kevin, if you want to go to Isaiah 40 verse one, scripture says this, comfort, comfort my people says your God. All right, so if God is saying this through Isaiah, who's he talking to? It's kind of a cool picture because I had to really kind of study through this because I'm kind of like, was he talking to the group? Well, part of it is he's talking actually to God's prophets. So prophecy is addressing God's prophets. And he's saying, hey, by the way, I need you in this theme to bring about comfort to those that have been captured by and are taken to a foreign land. So I need you to speak life into these guys as they're going through some hard times, which is a really unique picture Uh, because the reality is, is that God really has plans for a great blessing to Israel. He really wants to bless them. In fact, if you go to Romans 11 2, Kevin, for me, Romans 11 2, like there's no point in as you're like, as you're there (laughs) saying, aha, you guys are bad people. You deserved it. Like, He's saying, look, we've heard enough of this for 39 chapters. Speak life into them. And I'm going to tell you something. I I think this is a really go back to verse. uh, Well, let me read Romans 11 too. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. This is Paul talking. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the Elijah section, how he pleads with God against Israel? Like God has a plan for these people. I need you to breathe life into them. And I say this all the time, you guys. It's like when we have hurricanes or tornadoes or natural disasters. And then you have these prophets in the U.S., that are dropping prophetic words when they're in the middle of it, saying, well, you're here because of X, Y, and Z. Like, the reality is, that doesn't do any good as a hurricane's over, like, you know, taking their house. Does that make sense? And It's timing. I'm not saying that those words aren't appropriate. I'm just saying, understand the timing of releasing a word is really important. And now, Isaiah's saying, guys, I need you. And look what he says in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. 
Announce to her that her time of servitude is over, that her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Okay, this is really kind of bizarre. It says that her iniquity has been pardoned. Well, think about this. You have to kind of wonder how. You guys got any thoughts? How? How has her iniquity been pardoned? Based on current events, what would you guys say? Based on current events? Yeah. Not the big picture. No. Well, what's your thought on this? You, you want to take a stab? Any thoughts? Well, my their sin for their iniquity, their sin, uh, was one, they weren't letting the land rest. And so their payment for that in captivity was let, letting the land rest in the year of Jubilees. That's a good, I think that's a good guess. Think about this, okay? If this is written to speak positively into the Babylonians, right? That's kind of what we said. The prophets are supposed to speak life into these guys, okay? If he's speaking life into these guys, he's implying, okay, if their iniquity has been pardoned, somewhere he's implying they've already been set free. Is that true? Then it only can mean, I shouldn't say only, there's a really good possibility that now the Babylonians are dead. In this word, so because the Babylonians have died, their bloodshed has actually pardoned their uh, iniquity. It's a thought. But remember, he was told to speak life into them. If they're in this place and they know they're going to be pardoned from it, in their mind, they're set free. That sets up what we're going to see in the rest of the, the 40 chapters, because he really reinforces that. All right, let's get to the fun verses. Like, these are fun. This is building the, the, the way, but... Man, when you get to 40 verse 3, it's kind of like, I've heard this before. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Okay, you read, make a straight highway for our God, for our God in the desert. I naturally think, man, where else have I heard this before? Well, just a little bit in Isaiah 35. Okay, do you remember this? Do you remember that there's going to be a highway? Do you guys, Kevin, if you want to go to Isaiah 35, Scripture then says specifically it is in verse 8. And a road will be there in a way it will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it. It will be for the one who walks the path. So we know this this highway, I-35, right, is going to be at the end. Right? Correct? Okay, so you got to keep coming back to, I've heard highway language. This is at the end when it's all said and done. Now we're in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now we're talking about another another path, another highway. I Here's where i got to go back to my drawings here. <laughs> all right, we have talked about current events. Okay, we've talked about the first coming, and then we've talked about the second coming. Kevin, now this highway, I believe, Kevin is talking about the first one. Okay, so does that make sense? So it's kind of like in Isaiah 35, you have it, there's a highway that the remnant are going to be able to walk to at the, at the tribulation. Now we have, a, there's going to be a voice crying out, preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness, making straight highway, making a straight highway for our God in the desert. Well, let me just cut to the chase. It's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is preparing the way for his first coming. But then in Isaiah 35... <laughs> The prophet says, yeah, but there's going to be another way. So this is a foreshadow, you guys, of what's to come. And then obviously, if you want to go to it, Matthew, Kevin, 3, verse 2, uh, it's the same picture. I need you to prepare the way. Now, this mentality of uh, like Warren Wiersbe talks about, it was customary for the Eastern monarchs. What they would do is they would send their, quote unquote, their heralds, 
before them, right? To What would they do? To clear the obstacles. So before a king would come in, there was a guy's job who's to go in and make sure everything's okay. You know what I'd call him today? Secret service. You know, we have a friend that goes to our church. He's secret service. He used to do stuff for some of the previous presidents. And his job was always to go into a city two to three days early, and he prepared everything. That's what he did. John the Baptist is ultimately told, I need you to do this for the coming king. In those days, Matthew 3, 1, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It's an incredible picture. And here's what he said. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, to go back to Isaiah 40. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for the king, the way of the Lord? Yes, absolutely. And this highway is, I believe, a foreshadow of the highway to come. It's just a cool picture of how God can just kind of give us pictures. Now, when you go to verse 4, in this press, uh, in this uh, preparation of getting the highway clear. I mean, uh, let me read this first and I'll go to this. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled and every and the uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. Can I just tell you though, this is not easy to do, by the way. It's not like he just walked in and like everything just cleared. <laughs> I don't know why I walked like that, by the way. Uh, he like, he literally, you have to do work, you guys. You have to remove these obstacles to truly prepare the way. And that's why I believe it was such an ordained uh, calling on John the Baptist's life. If Isaiah's prophesying about him and he's preparing the way for the Lord, man, I'm telling you, this is something that we should watch. In verse 5, it says, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all, human- all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, when I look at Isaiah 40, um, the, the, these three, four, and five really stand out. Uh, why do they stand out? Because uh, I, think about it this way, Kevin. When you talk about, remember, we had just we had just got done. The prophets had just got done saying, "You will be set free." If you take that perspective that the Babylonian captive captors will be killed, that all the people around him, Cyrus, will be used to be set free, if they're going back. Kevin, on a pathway, what would they need? Somebody to clear it. clear the way. And what happens with Isaiah in this book, in this chapter, is that sometimes, I have no problem telling you, it's just hard to grasp the timing of everything. You're like, I just was talking about the tribulation, but now I'm talking about before the tribulation, but now I'm talking about the first coming, but we just talked about the second coming. And so all I want to just say is, it's okay if you don't get through every single verse in the chapter. If you're stuck on 3, 4, and 5, just embrace that. Because you want to really know what happens, Kevin? I really want to teach on verse 31. This is the one that everybody knows. This is the paintings. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Look, I didn't teach on anything in between. But if you know where they're going, and you know where they've been, this is unbelievable how much this makes sense. You're preparing a way. You're going ahead. You're just leaving the bondage. You're walking into freedom. And he says, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. You'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Like there's this image. We know what you've been through. When you look to me, I'll get you to the new place. Whew. It's kind of like, come on, Lord, more of it. And can I just say, there is a calling on so many of you. 
that you have a John the Baptist anointing. Like your job is really to start preparing the way, walking into environments and moving these obstacles. And honestly, some of it could just be false uh, teachers. It could be false messages that your job is to start clearing the way saying, guys, this is not of the Lord. John the Baptist prepared the way so that more people could walk in. I believe if we want to get ready for his second coming, we got to be more like John the Baptist these days. We got to be more radical. I'm not saying wearing the clothes and eating the locusts and the honey. Eh, Try it. I just think this mentality is it's okay to be radical and different for the Lord. He was. And if we're going to get ready for his return, we need to do the same thing. And as a result, here's what I love. Others will be blessed in his presence and in his experiencing who God is. Isaiah 39 and 40. Uh, it's a lot, but man, I love this book. I love what it's, I love what the word is doing in my life. And my prayer is, is that uh, it's radically impacting yours as well. All right, guys, have a great day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.